off top. Quantum entanglement. Probably already know what it is, but it still blows my mind every time I think about it. So you can have two particles, subatomic particles, that are separated by millions of light years. And what you do to one affects the others. Doesn't make sense to me. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What's up, Charlie? Yo. You know what um when I showed up on Get Up this morning looking extra sexy, I created a quantum entanglement with all the people of America who were watching Get Up because I look really sexy today. That's all I'm saying. I thought you were gonna and say it, that we had a quantum entanglement because I just feel light years away from you. You being in New York. <laughs> we do feel far away. That would have made more sense, but I really just wanted to talk about how hot I look today. And damn Rob got on here. I had the mic just a little bit to my left so you could fully drink in all my hotness and Rob got on the microphone. So is that exactly where you're going to have your microphone? I knew what he was saying. Of course he, of course it. I mean, they put the microphone in front of my taco meat every single time because that's, <laughs> that's just too much. Yeah. I mean, I was getting jealous because you know, people call you a vanilla snack. It's a thing that's starting in the internet. And so, I mean, I'm, I still got it a little bit. Definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, we were about to see a, a deluge of ab selfies. That not even if oh, yeah. you don't post oh, yeah. it, Ashley will post it, and then you'll repost it, being like, yeah. when it's really like, I, the, the the seated abs look good in this picture. Can you be the one that posts it? <laughs> All right, you got it. But I so at least I don't hide it. Like I, no. I get annoyed with people who are like pretending like they are trying to show you something else, but they really want you to see their like car or it's like, hey, look at me, fun day. But they have like the the BMW emblem in the back. Like, come on, just just. Take the picture that you want to take. And I'm not going to play with y'all. Sometimes you need to be reminded that I'm still sexy. We are mo- we're moments it. away from you who, to the podcast audience, um, is wearing, Dominique is wearing a master's jacket right now. We're moments away <laughs> from him wearing a master's jacket with no shirt under it. This is the second time. So when I'm up here, whatever happens between the cameras up here and the cameras down there, the colors are off because Ashley thought I was wearing pink last week and it was maroon. I am wearing green, but it's not master's green. Check out Get Up, where they got real cameras, you, and I look great. Enterprise Rent-A-Car? I don't know. Whatever. I'm the sexiest rent-a-car uh, pusher that you ever met. I'm moving this microphone. They're going to get a taste of all this hotness. I don't care, Rob. We're going to get a third button. There's the- the oh, yeah, two buttons. Don't make me go full Lou Riddick on you. Oh, I will God. go full Lou and well, do all the way down to three buttons. If the takes get hot enough in here. I'll take it all off. Let's be sure we don't go full Schefter, and let's talk about Nick Chubb and the Browns for a second, because we should pivot to that. Um, <sighs> Things are so happy. We're having a good time. Now we got to talk about knees going the wrong way. We should just talk about the Browns as a whole, because the... Okay. I think we can all agree. This Nick Chubb thing really sucks. He's one of the most fun players to watch in the NFL. He felt genuinely different as a runner. God, I'm so distracted by that now. Uh, Dominic was showing <laughs> right, his ahead, chest ahead, off ahead, to the camera. Don't but, explain it. If they want to see it, they can get on YouTube. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, the first question I'd pose to you, ostensibly football expert of the show, is Nick Chubb's season, season-ending injury the one that also ends the Browns season? <sighs> I'm not sure the Browns season ever really started. The quarterback's bad, guys. Sucks. The quarterback is bad. So, I mean, the best way I could figure out how to discuss this in a way that doesn't feel terrible to to Browns fans is possibly now they're going to be in a situation where they are completely dependent on uh, Deshaun Watson, which will force them to figure out how to make him not bad anymore. 
But the the example I gave to Mina when I just talked to her was about how before we changed the way we pay rookies, y- you could get a situation where you were paying top dollar for a quarterback who wasn't good, but that kind of stopped mm-hmm. until now. Like with what's going on in Denver, although Russ is playing better, and what's going on in uh, Cleveland. They're playing top dollar to a quarterback who's bad. And so it's hard for me to be optimistic for them. That's the best case scenario. Nick Chubb is the best thing they had on their offense, and well, now he's gone. They're actually not paying top dollar this season for a quarterback to, to play well. They're paying him a million dollars this year, which makes right. it even worse because his cap hit for the next three years is $64 million for someone who's closer to Zach Wilson than a top seven quarterback that he was before the suspension, the suspension. You think this is possible to figure out? Like he's been bad for a year now and yeah, it's, um, it seems mental, like very mental. He was good for many years before that. So like, can it be figured out? I think it's stupid to say no. Like there's not like some major injury. There's not, he's not at an age where it's an issue. Uh, yes, it can absolutely, absolutely be figured out. I think possibly you could, I guess we should revisit the the Houston years, not only to see what he was doing to get them to play better, but also like was how much of it was them just being a bad team. I guess they made decent runs. They were competitive. What a playoff I don't game. know. Like, yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out. Honestly, you, you can tell that I'm reeling at this point to figure out ways to make this make sense. It doesn't make sense. He switched teams and then was suspended for the sexual misconduct, and and then he came back and was bad at football. I don't know how to explain it. Well, Other like, than saying it's mental, I don't know what else to say, I, and I don't know how to fix people mentally. I, I don't want to compare, obviously. There's no comparing to who Deshaun Watson is off a of football field to anyone else, but there is right. a, the performance and uh, performance anxiety comparison to someone like Ben Simmons, who, for all of the flaws he had as a basketball player before he decided to sit out for a significant period of time, was still basically an all-NBA caliber player, a notch below the elite elite, and then came back as someone who looked completely lost in an NBA basketball court. And so, like, you look at Watson now. He's looking down. He can't handle pressure despite having one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. He's got bad footwork. He's missing wide-open guys. He looks much closer to Zach Wilson than anyone else at this point. And so there are a few follow-up questions I have for you because this is, like, you have been in... You've been in league meetings. You've talked to executives. So is this the best case scenario for the NFL? Does this actually cure a headache for the fact that he is careening towards irrelevance? Yeah, I don't think it matters to the NFL, honestly. Like, uh, the NFL is so big that it's one star uh, having uh, success. It does bring a story back up that they don't want to talk about. But as as you know, I think uh, the league as a whole – it's not a living thing, but the people in it do live and have feelings. So I would say the people who have power, what they feel, what moves them is how things impact the bottom line. And I'm not suggesting that they're completely heartless. I think other things, they care about other things also. But the number one thing in their priority stack is always how it's going to affect the bottom line. No matter how despicable the things that were happening off the field are, uh, for Deshaun Watson or for anybody else, it's not impacting how much people are watching or care about football. So I think they'd rather not have a player. It, it's it just you made a face like you disagree, do you? Well, that's what I do. I do think it's not that it would impact the bottom line of like how much money they're going to make, but I think it becomes a huge story if like 
If yeah. he had come back so, and been a top seven quarterback with this defense, with the with this okay. team is built, yeah. and it's like you're going to the playoffs. And this is guy. This is a guy who coming into this season was specifically not remorseful about anything, and specifically right. blaming of others. And like that soundbite being dug That's up, fair. and that being like him playing again in a primetime game in January is like That's a fair point. And I, I like the worst case scenario is he's in the Super Bowl and he yeah. and the center story to that is people asking him uh for contrition that he's unwilling to offer. So I think you you might be right if that's the question. And it's specific example is interesting to me because I've told you this story before where I, when I was executive committee of the players association, I was in a number of meetings and we had a, a stretch of a period where players were getting in trouble. There were a mm-hmm. bunch of players getting arrested. I think it culminated at the NBA All-Star Game where we had like four guys get arrested at All-Star Game. And it was an embarrassment for the league. It was so bad that they came to us and talked to, they created a committee of union members and union leaders and people in the NFL. And we all kind of came to the conclusion that it was bad for us as a whole to have this become kind of a part of our image because it was becoming a part of the NFL image. And as I've told you before, the NFL cares about their image because that's what they sell. That's why Bounty wants to be the official partner and whatever, official car. Everybody wants to be a sponsor of the NFL because they want to be associated with the NFL. You don't want to be associated with a brand that is um, believed to be violent or dangerous or criminal. And, of course, the vast majority of players were not doing that. But the big stories that were being told were around that. So in that moment, we made a mistake as union leaders, I think, and we kind of allowed for precedent outside before uh, those punishments. You kind of had to be convicted of something. Like, and Ray Lewis is the example that we point to in the past. You kind of had to be convicted of something before you could get suspended, which we thought was like a reasonable thing. But then people were getting in so much trouble. We were like, all right, that changed. We're not going to push back if you guys expand the punishments to a different standard. And we've never gotten it back since then. So uh, that in this particular case, I think that just reminds me why I bring that up is because it reminds me of how important the image of the league is and how important it is to the players, how important it is to the league and how much it matters. And you're right. It only takes one or two or three to start that that um, snowball of people looking at the league differently and it hurting the bottom line of the league. So I think while my initial reaction is they don't care because they don't cost them, I think you might be right that they would rather not have this issue than have it. So yeah, him, him uh, being irrelevant as soon as possible. is probably good. They do like to tell a redemption story, but it's real hard to tell a redemption story. If he's unwilling to accept responsibility for uh, anything that's happened off the field. I mean, so in like, we can pivot to other, how this goes back to the field stuff too. But like, I mean, we're talking about like, Think about the amount of off-field stuff that Michael Vick did to become, you know, respected and liked around by by fans of the league again. Think about the fact that, like, you know, Oikos removed Cam Newton as a sponsor because of the route comments. Like, if you have someone who's basically in a, you know, this is it's an apples and oranges situation, but someone showing zero contrition about something that is really probably criminal. I don't think that's like. There's a there's a story that can be fixed. I do the last thing. Oh, I wanna, to just I think I mean you got to explain the route comments was just Cam Newton saying to yeah. a woman reporter. Uh, she asked him about specific routes and he responded about I don't remember the exact terminology, but he responded by just suggesting that it was kind of unusual to hear a woman uh, talk yeah. about 
talk about specific routes. And Oikos was like, nah, let's get that money back. You can put Dak in there. He's a cop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, man alone. Oh, man. But, no, so the, the, the last Watson thing, and I want to, you know, talk a little bit about the Chubb and the fact that this is affects the whole running back discussion that we've had is, if he sucks, do they have to keep keep paying him? Like they're they are with his contract and him being that and him playing this way. But like, okay, you're stuck with him. Why do you have to keep playing someone who is, you know, the 31st or 32nd best quarterback in the NFL? There's a um, it's a genuine sunk cost at this point. Oh man, do you think that spelling it out was going to be it's better? It's just a longer, just, b- longer, just a longer bleep. beep. <laughs> we don't even bleep though. When I listen to the show, they just go silent instead, which is I don't know. I feel like the beep is better. Yeah, Brian, bleep that. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't have to, but it's real hard to justify not doing it. So I guess at a certain point, it'll be a last ditch effort. I think when other when jobs are on the line, someone's gonna be like, oh, I don't know. Let's still see what this young boy from UCLA got going on. Uh, was it DTR? Yeah, see what he what he got to. To show us. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be a long time before they do that would be my guess. But there's no law against it. It just it's hard to, to justify paying somebody that amount of money to do nothing, to stand on the sideline. It's I, think tough. That, I think that I'd be surprised if he continues to play this way, if he's on the team at the end of next season. Ooh, that's a hot take. I mean, if he's playing this, if he's playing poorly, there's no reason to keep him. But yeah. The only reason to keep him is because uh, you're going to pay him either way. <laughs> trading him, at the end of next year or in middle of next year, trading him for Russell Wilson, who says no? Everybody says no. Uh, I, don't, I don't see why anybody would do that trade on either side. But, I mean, the real challenge is not whether he's on the roster or whether he's playing or not. It's how much of the cap that he is uh, going to be accounting for. $64 so, million dollars each year. Right. So, like, that – If they can figure – if they can figure out a way that someone else can take some of that, then that's a different conversation. That's an entirely different situation. But don't nobody want that because he's not good. Yeah. Like, maybe it, cut him. They don't want him. Yeah. yeah. Cut him. I mean, if you cut him, I guess it will be offset by what someone else pays him. But no one's going to pay him anything because he's not good. Um, on, the, on, the, on the Chubb conversation what does this do for the running back debate that we had all offseason does it nothing yeah but does it strengthen the teams not wanting to pay running backs the teams didn't need any more strength (laughs) we just saw the running backs not get paid so it does nothing to the conversation it keeps it the same it's another um uh evidence point for them to point to i guess for why you can't pay running backs but they were already in that position before so uh, i mean it really really sucks for them uh, but it's hard for any of us who want to argue on the other side to have uh, like an argument that's anything but emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, uh, no one ever pays you what you deserve. You, they kind of pay you what your value is or, and it's obvious that their value based on how injury prone they are and how easily it is or how easy it is to get someone to do a reasonable facsimile of what they do that, that determines their value. And that ain't going to change, sadly. Or Bijan. He's so good. <laughs> I mean, he's sort of totally unique. We've uh, On the Bijan thing, we don't have to, you know, we'll talk about him pretty much every single podcast. But people yeah. always talk about running backs playing in the slot. Like, he can actually play in the slot. Yeah. I mean, maybe that'll keep him uh, in the league and he'll get paid uh, because he's a special weapon. I mean, I think that's the future of the position. If there is, like, 
Nick Chubb is the the kind of old version yeah. of a running back. He's a very 90s running back, and the future version of it is very much uh, more uh, Marshall, Marshall Falk type of guy. And if you are going to pay someone, well, it's going to be someone who can do that and, and kind of break a defense because of their dynamism. Here's a question. If you are Saquon Barkley and you're watching this, why are you coming back in two weeks? If you're Jonathan Taylor and you're getting off the pup after week four, for what, for why? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the words of the great 90s running back for who, for what, Ricky Waters. As, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's the, the traditional football mentality or you're there for your brothers, you're there for your team. I think that is the only reason to come back because for Saquon, the meager incentives that he was able to negotiate, he's not going to reach now because he's going to be out for two to three weeks. So he's not going to reach the incentives that he needed to to get the, I don't know, 50 extra bucks that they were willing to offer him. Yeah. So there, there really is no financial – there's really no financial incentive. The only reason to come back is because you don't want to leave your brothers out there all alone and you want to – you got a chance to win a championship, which does not apply to – the Giants this season. You don't think that Daniel Jones, who by the way, he's better than Sean Watson, can lead them to a to a championship? I mean, I'm just I'm just, you don't you have to deter. That. Oh yeah, I was gonna make a joke, but then you stepped on it, so never mind. Uh, I'm the worst. I <laughs> that one up. <laughs> Not to be fair, I didn't have a good joke, so I blamed you for stepping on it because I was working up the the joke as we were getting there. What else you got for me? Do you want to pivot to Thursday night football? Thursday night football. Oh, we never told people that Spencer Hall is coming later to talk college football. I feel like we should have said that at the top of the show. But anyway, uh, yeah. all right, let's do Thursday night. Okay. Well, we got the <laughs> aforementioned Giants. They're playing the 49ers. Um, there's an interesting thing brewing. First of all, I am starting to look at this and thinking that the 49ers might be as good as your Dallas Cowboys. But we've had two weeks of Brock Purdy, and people highlighted the three missed deep throws he had in week two. But when you look at, in totality, Brock Purdy on throws 10-plus yards this season. He's 15 for 20, 259 yards, two touchdowns, zero turnover-worthy plays. Um, we looked at the ceiling of this 49ers team and thought that Brock Purdy was an artificial ceiling. We looked at the rest of the roster and we're like, that's as good as the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Chiefs. Are you starting to think that this team could be as good as anyone in the NFL? Like, And that Purdy is not an artificial ceiling. Yeah, I mean, I'm not starting to think that. I mean, Purdy was was the ceiling, and in my view, it wasn't artificial. Now it appears that that ceiling was artificial. Like, that felt like a real deal ceiling. Like, no one goes that late in the draft because they're great. Like that's, you, you, I can ask you for all the times that happened in the history of football, and you're going to go to Tom Brady in the sixth round, which is the one anomaly. Like, it's not a thing that happens often. So he, and, and to your point, like you can cherry pick, I can cherry pick five plays from any quarterback and convince you that he stinks. I had Dak threw one right to sauce the other day in that game that we're all celebrating. So like all the quarterbacks, uh, my point is you can't cherry picking some missed throws from Brock Purdy does not suggest to me that he's not good. Yeah. The, the pace at which is taking us to come around to Brock Purdy, I think is about, 100% his draft status. Yeah. If any quarterback drafted in the first round did anything close to what he's done over this time period, we'd be talking about them and projecting their development 
to like all pro MVP level stuff, no matter what's around them. So I think uh, consistent with one of my favorite truisms that Brock Purdy is going to continue to get better because of this situation. And, and yes, he's going to become a very good quarterback in this league because the situation has uh, lends itself to him developing. And he's already much better than I thought he could be. Can I stat you down for a second? Stat me down. There is a tie atop the NFL in QBR. Ooh. Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott. Yeah. Tied together. I guess. Um, and then guess. also to your point, in week one, Purdy was number one in QBR, but he was behind the number 24 pass protection in week one. Um, so it wasn't all perfectly yeah. set up for him that week. And he's also just continued to literally be perfect on intermediate throws, which is like the bread and butter of the Kyle Shannon offense four for four for 67 yards in week two. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, I find it like, I, I think we both agree. They're probably going to destroy the giants who look terrible so far this season. Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see like that offense has essentially been unstoppable since Christian McCaffrey got there. And since they put Brock Purdy in as a starter, the thing that I find is interesting is they could get even better. And if that if that defense is as good as we think it is, and if the Eagles look worse without Shane Steichen, and you know Dak Prescott can't throw a football in the playoffs because he has two hands wrapped around his own hands wrapped around his own throat, it's like why can't this be the 49ers? Why can't we just believe all in on Purdy? Unnecessary, unnecessary. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard not to believe in in Brock Purdy. I think we're doing some Jimmy G projection. And he already appears to be better than Jimmy G. Yeah. Some of it is just like his general demeanor comes off as something that's a little bit more in line with what we imagine to be tough guy leader. He's not like laid back, cool guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, which looks a lot less cool when you're overthrowing game winning touchdown passes. It's pretty cool when you're walking in the stadium. But Brock Purdy, <laughs> he's, he wishes you are the one and only as the fans have called you. I can't think of it. I know it was Snakeem Halajuan. There's Vanilla Snack. I'm not helping you. Uh, what are the rest of the snacks? Somebody's got to remember these other snacks. Anyway, I'll Google them, and then I'll just introduce you as them for from here on out. Anyway, give me one, then I won't introduce you for the rest of the, your life as that. Just no. one. All right, well, that's too bad. I'll Google them, and then I'll make fun of you next week. Google snack puns? No, I mean, I'll just search uh, Twitter where where people call you a snack in many different ways. Anyway, I forgot what I was talking about, but uh, yeah, he's good. They're good. I'm looking forward to the Cowboys 49ers rematch in the playoffs. Just like when I was a kid, we got that in week five this year too, which is going to be like the first real test for both of those teams, which is going to be awesome. Yeah. Was it a four o'clock game? It's a, it's a night game. Ooh, prime time. Can't wait. That's Spencer Hall's music. Sounds like it. Sounds like we're sounds like we're calling for him. All right. Appreciate you, Charlie. Don't go anywhere. Stay around. Join me and Spencer Hall, the greatest college football writer in the history of collegiate sports. All right, Charlie. I mean, Charles Snackman Jones. I found one. I looked it up. All right, Charlie. And welcome in, my guy. Spencer Hall. How are you, Spencer? Good to be here. I know it is. Call it's great to be here. My goodness. Like, this is when we don't have to make stuff up. We can actually talk about stuff. Oh, yeah. You spend the whole summer just kind of going, hey, 
what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Why don't you turn on the camera? And then you spend the whole fall going, we have 17 minutes and we need to nail everything. <laughs> I love it. It's a lot more fun this way. All right, Charlie, what do you want to talk about? I, I mean, college football. And I think it's our obligation to start the way we start every college football set segment, which is talking about Deion Sanders in Colorado. They're playing a real team this weekend. They're playing Oregon. So I'm going to defer Spencer on this one. Does Colorado have a chance against Oregon this weekend? Colorado has a chance in most of the games they play because they can score a ton of points and they play teams that will allow some points. Oregon, in this case, Oregon's already been road tested. They went into Lubbock and played a very entertaining game against Texas Tech. The problem is, is that their chief liability happens with the rushing defense. Anybody who's watched Colorado play, um, you will know the ground game limited to say the least. So if you want to keep this storyline going if you want to keep the drama moving forward in september which is what we're doing by the way colorado yeah. doesn't exist in a vacuum we don't really know how good georgia is alabama's fallen off badly ohio state really hasn't played anyone yet they're going to take care of that this weekend this is what we do to fill the void colorado has just surged right into it because they are exciting they are interesting and they have no ability to run the ball whatsoever which is Oregon's sort of sore point on defense. So even if they lose, and this is my long-winded way of getting to this point, even if they lose, they're going to score a lot of points. That's exciting. It'll keep us on the hook for another week. Yeah, I'm excited about next week. I think this is a good test, but I've convinced myself that they're not going to win this game, and I've also convinced myself that it doesn't matter. It's still going to be entertaining because prior to this game, uh, early in the season, once Colorado beat TCU, I was looking at the schedule and I was like, man, mm -hmm. I hope they can beat Oregon so that we can get to that USC matchup. But I think that I'm coming to the realization, maybe I'm lying to myself, but I think I'm also coming to an actual realization that as long as they show up, mm -hmm. we're still going to be hyped for that uh, USC game. And it's still going to be fun. And there's a chance that they could win this weekend. And obviously, I'm not a true Colorado fan, but I'm a fan of entertaining and damn if Colorado and Dion haven't been entertaining as hell. If Shadur Sanders hasn't been entertaining. Oh. Accurate. Really, I love a quarterback who looks for the long ball first <laughs> yes. in a responsible fashion. You know, all right, I'm lying. I, I like quarterbacks <laughs> who look for the long ball in an irresponsible fashion too. <laughs> Right. You know, if you're Anthony Cole, Andrea and UVA and you're seeing this, keep chucking it, young man. Keep chucking it. <laughs> yeah, they got that ass beat by the Terps. Go Terps, UVA. I, I set that right. Set that right up for you. There you I go. September, it. Maryland. Greatest college football team in the world, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we can't be beat. I think we're uh, one of we have the third longest uh, non-conference winning streak of anybody in the nation because we be playing bums like Virginia and stomping them 42 to 14. You, you don't, you know what? You don't have to say that part. You're just undefeated. Okay. undefeated, undefeated, undefeated non-conference. Yeah, Shador is special, man. I think I noticed this in the few games that I've watched him play. I wasn't watching him at Jackson State, but what I have noticed about him that I would love to see other quarterbacks, uh, Josh Allen, uh, mm. start to do is play in a measured thoughtful way and yeah. Shador I, I remember in the second game that they played against Nebraska it was early and they were struggling offensively and I could imagine this is a spot where a young quarterback knowing that the eyes of the world is on them knowing that they're going up against an inferior opponent he would start pressing and mm -hmm. I saw him scramble out of the pocket and his second down he gets close to the first down marker and he slides and 
I can't imagine many other quarterbacks in that situation, given all the dynamics around them, that don't try to break a tackle and barrel through and get the first down. But he's like, nah, I, I have an understanding of the situation, understanding of my value to this team, and an understanding of how much time is left on the clock. And this is third down in the middle of again in the middle of the second quarter and we got a long way to go a long season it's much smarter for me to get my three or four yards and get down and that's I don't know it's just a thought process that you don't see often from forget uh college quarterbacks from any quarterback they all are super competitive so I've liked to see that so far and we saw it in the Colorado State game felt like he was making the one interception he threw it felt like it was kind of something that a bit fluky, like it came off of his own player, but he doesn't really put the ball in risky places too much. He makes a lot of good decisions. He's fun to watch. Is he your September Heisman? Uh, ah, September Heisman. Spencer, I'll let you go first so I can buy time to think about who my September Heisman is. Like it's between uh, Caleb and Shador, right? It is, and you'd have to give it to Caleb, or you have to give it to Shador because Caleb got it last year. And we have an irrational rule that you can't actually just vote for the most impressive player. You just have to go, oh, no, it's the other guy because we, we <laughs> don't do that. So the other guy gets it, especially because of the amount of attention that they've managed to attract to a program that prior to this was known best for, I, I don't know, not being able to afford enough chairs for meetings or oh. maybe hiring a coach because he had a vacation home in the area. Yeah, they, they, they've come a super long way, although actually... We're all wrong. The actor is it's Michael Penix Jr. Michael Penix Jr. Mm, yes. I like yeah. that curveball. Can I tell you the funniest thing about this matchup to me is that I just keep being reminded that Bo Nix still plays college football. <laughs> In his 19th year, Bo Nix has developed into one of the best quarterbacks <laughs> in the nation. Uh, he Took just some need, time, but he got there. He just needed a chance. Um mm -hmm. okay, next one on, on college football. You we talked about this a little bit, but is is anyone in the SEC good? No. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Potentially good, yeah. Like, even Georgia, if you watch that first half against South Carolina, yeah. you know, they've changed some stuff up on offense. They've got a new quarterback, but um, it's going to be a back-to-the-future year at Georgia. Last year, they scored a zillion points a game, had a dynamic attack with Stetson Bennett, and uh, we saw all that and decided, you know what? Slow that down, brother. Let, let's go back to basics. Let's go back to... 7-7 seven, seven in the first half. Let's go back to running the ball and leaning on people. And that's what works, and it happens to work because I know he's a four-star. I know Georgia doesn't, you know, doesn't rebuild. They reload. But they ran the ball in the second half on South Carolina and won the game. And if you want to get out of the regular slate undefeated, that's what they're going to have to do. That's not fun, and I don't understand I how this happens to these type of programs. Like, Georgia has not had an off-recruiting year. Like, I just don't get it. I guess you get the wrong guys in there, or you, you're not creative scheme-wise anymore, but I just don't understand how it happens. In Alabama, I give them a pass because it rarely happens. But Georgia, you're still in the early stages of this dynasty. How can you already be in a situation? And maybe I'm overreacting, but I did watch that South Carolina game, and I was like, who was that in the Georgia uniform? Why aren't they head and shoulders better than the team they're playing against? I, I don't, I'm not going to give Alabama a pass because Georgia hasn't failed at the most fundamental level, which is developing an offensive line. They were still able to take over that game physically. Like they might not have had gorgeous, fancy ideas to do it, but when it came to, it came down to my big man beat your big man. 
they did that beautifully in the second half and that's what you need to do um also by the way south carolina like potential trap game every single year for them it's early in the season things get sloppy and sometimes south carolina gets real game like they did for two quarters so a a lot of credit awarded there alabama's offensive line they go look at their recruiting rankings go look at where they come from go look at how highly touted they were and then go watch them block it doesn't make sense that's unfortunate for them, but I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it's because they've been doing it for so long that I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, it's it's inevitable that at some point you'll slip up. But yeah, South Florida isn't the the juggernaut that you think is going to challenge Alabama. To be completely transparent, that's not a game I watched this week, but the score was embarrassing. I, I saw the score, I was like, what? We and they came off a loss too, so we were all expecting like, you know what, mm-hmm. Alabama's going to do to South Florida. And I looked up. And like, I guess I did need to watch that game because they didn't do what I expected. Well, we had something funny happen in that game, which is this. After struggling against Texas, Jalen Milrow is benched and uh, the Notre <laughs> Dame transfer, uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Buckner starts. And uh, when he starts, he struggles badly. I'm not going to remember the exact total off of my head, but I think he was something like four for 14 for 20 yards passing or 24 yards passing uh the third stringer simpson got some reps there too i think that was hey let's see what the other guys look like guess who's starting against old miss this weekend jalen milrow jalen milrow back in the seat because we saw what else was on the bench and decided you know what you could take that driver's seat son can we talk about the lane kiffin comments i'd love to that's a guy first of all thank you lane kiffin you are a gift to all of us. But him accusing the Alabama defensive coordinator of not being their defensive coordinator because he's watched them on tape and he's seen how disorganized and bad they look. Like, that's got to be so unsaving. And also, how long is this going to go on where Lane Kiffin just continues to troll Nick Saban? Forever? Is this just the state of play in the SEC now? Forever. This is, this is the way it is. And you think it's intentional or some sort of 4D chess, and then you look back to... Uh, the entire history of Lane Kiffin, I realized he's just talking. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, the mouth is moving and whatever's in the head is coming out of the mouth. And sometimes it's his honest opinion that, yes, after the Texas game, there was a de facto silent demotion of Kevin Steele from defensive coordinator and a promotion of Traveris Robinson uh, to uh, the actual defensive coordinator. This is, by the way, can I let you in on some like inner Alabama lore? This is something that the Alabama staff they've been uh they've been accused of doing before that their offensive line coach at one point was Mario Cristobal and I remember talking to somebody and they're like oh, oh yeah he's not really the offensive line coach I'm like what they're like yeah no there's some old guy there's some, they've got some old guy who's actually their coach you know their staff has at times been so expansive and so big yeah. that it's sometimes been hard to figure out who's actually doing what so to me there's some historical context for lane doing this it's also hilarious by the way that anyone expected nick saban to give an honest read because kiffin's justification for doing this is really sound actually he said well i need to know who's calling plays so we prepared for two play callers because they call plays differently we don't think about that a lot because i think we short defense i think we sort of don't really give the same sort of intellectual respect to defense, you know, but they call plays too. And they have different styles of play calls and they have different tendencies. And that's what he was saying. He was saying, you know, Travis Robinson calls a different game than Kevin Steele. That to me doesn't seem insane. What is the fun part is the like, you know, they used to call this in foreign relations, they call it Kremlinology. They'd be like, here's what's going on behind the wall. 
because they're so secretive and we mm -hmm. don't know. And this is Lane openly saying, I don't know, you know, everyone talks and, you know, we all know each other. And yeah, Travaris is doing that. Like, that's that's an amazing yeah. break in the uh, the sort of omerta or silence that you get yeah. among assistant coaches who've worked with Saban. It's hilarious. Well, also, isn't he the... <laughs> I mean, say, I mean, uh, Kiffin has to be the perfect person to expose that because he got fired before the college football playoff. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Is there anybody that that um, Saban regrets bringing through his uh, his coach laundry system more than uh, Lane Kiffin? Because he just seems annoying. Well, I guess the the one person would be Kirby Smart, which he's now built a competitor at Georgia. I, I think. I think that he probably thinks of lane as like his most troublesome rescue dog <laughs> like i've rescued a lot of dogs off the street and lane was the one who chewed up the most of my shoes <laughs> we couldn't train we could not train that street dog oh poor lane. no not one bit it's funny to note too that there's this whole story about steve sarkeesian like late like it's like oh saban helped you know sarkeesian uh, back on his feet after he'd had a really rough time in his life and he also through his medical screening for assistance was very caring and found this like undiagnosed heart issue and everything then it's like well what about lane and nick's like it's <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> beautiful joey freshwater <laughs> all uh, right what's next Charlie? last one ohio state notre dame do we believe in notre dame whatsoever ohio state's three-point road favorites but that's still you know i think closer than our hearts would let you believe it should be i do and i do because of sam hartman there it um, is yeah sam hartman is to me uh boy let's reach in the old bag of cliches and just say it a difference maker oh i like that can we say that? Do you know how many games Sam Hartman has? If you want experience at quarterback, I think that in the era of the transfer portal uh, is rarer and rarer in terms of consistent experience at quarterback. Um, that man has played in 49 games. 49 games as a college football player. A grizzled veteran with the beard to match who has been nothing but impressive to this point. Uh, you know, he's averaging over 300 yards a game. He's got 13 touchdowns already. So what you saw last year with Notre Dame was a good defensive team that had no ability to move the ball whatsoever. Now they have that. And they have a guy, too, who I've seen is completely unflustered by the scoreboard. There are some quarterbacks who, yes, try to press because they are so competitive, Dominique, like you mentioned at yeah. the college level, right? I can make it happen because in college, it's kind of right. Yeah. You know, you have guys who could single-handedly will their way back into a game. I, Hartman has been in shootouts before, and I think that's what this is going to add up to because I don't think Notre Dame has the pass rush to really bother Kyle McCord like I think they want to. I don't think they have that, but they have a disciplined secondary. So what you can make McCord do is say, okay, can you consistently make good decisions with the ball under slight to moderate pressure? Can we do that? And I think that's a big challenge for a first-year starter. Whereas the other guy, I've seen yeah. him under pressure. I've seen him in that wild ACC 12 o'clock game that inevitably becomes 41-38. Um, and he's more than comfortable in that kind of environment. So I like Notre Dame in this game. I don't know if they win, but I think they can definitely, they're definitely capable of winning the game. And I do think it's going to be very, very close.
The point about Hartman is the one that resonates for me also because uh, we put helmets on them and we surround them with professional TV graphics and coaches with polos on, matching polos, and we start to think about them as professional athletes because essentially they are professional athletes. But we forget that they are 18 to 25, in some cases, year old <laughs> His case. men. Yeah, in, in his case. That's why I had to expand yeah. it past 22. But they're 18 to 25-year-old men. And you, I can't think of a group of a, uh, a group of people who is more inconsistent with their decision-making than that group. And so when you have someone in, that, in a power position who you can trust to consistently make well-thought-out and reasoned decisions, it helps. Because in the course of a college football game, the hundreds of plays, couple hundred plays that you may have in the game or 150 plays that you may have in the game, somebody going to do something stupid every single play. And if you have a quarterback that can make up for it, and if your quarterback's not the one doing the something stupid, you're going to be in much better shape. And Notre Dame's always had, uh, at least in recent years, had a good amount of talent. The challenge has always been with a lot of these schools is can you match uh, with the, the speed of the up, of the front guys? They've always had a good offensive line, but not so much on the defensive pass rushing side. And do you have a quarterback that can play? Notre Dame's going to have skilled players, and they're going to have uh, offensive linemen, and they do have a quarterback that can play. So I think that's the separating factor – or not separating factor, but that's the factor that puts them in the class of these teams – that they have not belonged in the class in recently where they get to the playoffs and get embarrassed. So we'll find out. We will find out if all this stuff that we're saying is true when they go up against Ohio State. That's all I got. Good. That's all I got. Thanks, Spencer. You got you got oh. anything, Spencer? Oh, uh, only this. Don't watch USC Arizona State. Don't. You're you're you're, a, you're gonna be a you're a bad person if you do. Arizona's <sighs> Arizona State lost to Fresno State 29-0 last week. They gave up eight turnovers. If they improve by half, they'll give up four short fields to Caleb Williams and USC. That's what we're talking about. So um, why don't you just call me? I'll put okay. I'll put my number. You can call me, okay. and then I'll tell you how the game went because I'm a bad person, and I'm going to watch it. <laughs> Let's put his number up on the screen so everyone sure. can call him. All right, thanks a lot, Spencer and Charlie. I appreciate you. I'm really not getting comfortable to seeing you, seeing you in my beautiful chair. I'll be home soon. Uh, do something about that. Don't get comfy with your sweaty back all on my chair. Anyway, thank you for running the show while I've been gone. Thank you to all the producers, Brian, Kevin, Serafina, Megan, uh, and Podville. Everybody's great. Everyone be happy. Now I can go to sleep. I'm tired. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. 